Hello, this is a bonus episode, which is our talk from the 2022 Intelligent Speech Conference. The theme was all about crossings, and we have a very exciting crossing for you today. We did have a couple of technical issues at the beginning, unfortunately, um, but they shouldn't stop your listening pleasure. You can also go to the Intelligent Speech YouTube channel and watch our presentation, which went along with this. So, uh, on with the show. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Sam Hume, I'm here as the tech support admin guy. Um, the session is being recorded, all sessions today are going to be recorded. Um, if you have any problems, just put it in the chat and we'll try and sort it out. So today's first session, first standalone session in this room is uh, Anton and Rick. Again, I've forgotten the, forgotten the pronunciation. Lepedvin. Them, Lepedvin. They are the hosts of Curiosity of a Child, where Rick and Anton talk about history, science, tales, and everything in between. They look at the quirky and the everyday, seeking the stories and curiosities that make the world the rich place it is. So today, Rick and Anton are presenting 22 Orphans to Save the World, which uh, is one hell of a title, great <laughs> premise, and I can't wait to uh, see how it goes. So without further ado, I will leave you. Oh, hang on, there's someone in chat. Oh, no, someone's just saying hi. I'll leave you do it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you, everyone. Um, we're very excited to be here. And um, yeah, we are going to be telling a story of 22 orphans who um, saved the world. And um, we've got a little slideshow to go here. But um, a couple of minutes ago, we lost all our audio. So fingers crossed it's going to go smoothly now. But let me just share my screen and we'll get started. So when we were invited to talk today, um, this was a topic which had already been floating around in my head for a while as an episode idea. And the theme of crossings was a perfect fit for it. Um, and also vaccines and viruses sadly recently have become more in the news than, than before with Corona. And today we Sorry, Rick and Anton, sorry, I've just had to mute you. Um, I think you're getting feedback so the music has gotten louder and louder and louder and so we couldn't uh hear you i'm gonna unmute you now i hope that doesn't happen again but please continue okay yeah um yeah sorry about that guys um yeah so today we're going to be talking about smallpox and a 19th century spanish public health initiative which was aimed at controlling it as the first such um medical intervention of its kind and um what we hadn't expected when we started planning this was that another pox was going to be doing the round and these at the moment, monkey pox. Yep. Um, I can promise it isn't some sort of sick marketing campaign by us. No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with us, okay? So don't <laughs> worry about that. Um, now, I'm sure that everybody has heard of smallpox, and thankfully today it's not something that we really have to worry about. We said it's actually the first disease to be eliminated, and in 1980, the World Health Assembly declared it eradicated. Well, except from all the samples kept in the labs around the world. Yeah, that's right. It's rather scary, really. Um, but just how deadly is smallpox, Anton? The RO number is about five to seven. That means for every one person infected, another five to seven people will catch it. And if you did catch it, one third of people died. And if you survived, 75% of you would have disfiguring scars. Well, I'll say 5 to 10% will develop ocular issues, including blindness. So not very nice. 
no, it's a, a really horrible uh, disease. Yeah, so I'm not actually going to show any pictures of the talk because it's not very nice, but here's some illustrations uh, from the 1800s that kind of just show the massive postures that you get. Um, so unlike something like COVID, which isn't particularly visible, smallpox, if you caught it, your whole body would come up in these horrible, horrible postures. So Anton, just how deadly was smallpox? So during World War II, 40 to 50 million people died. As smallpox during the 20th century killed 30 million, uh, no, 300, sorry, 300 to 500 million. And this was the century which we defeated it as well. So that's quite a lot. Yeah, so that's uh, up to 10 times the number of people who were killed in World War II, killed by smallpox. Now, smallpox, it's actually been around um, for about 12,000 years. That's our recorded history of it. So it's one of the largest killers in history. And any efforts to eradicate it would obviously have to be an international um, effort with cooperation across many cultures and countries and boundaries. And even during the height of the Cold War, uh, the US and the Soviets worked together to help eradicate it. But that's not crossing that we're covering today because we are talking about the 22 orphans who in 1803 were turned into human vessels for the vaccine and they were used to carry it across the Atlantic. So we've got King Charles IV of Spain and he'd watched his brother and sister-in-law have smallpox and I think they both died from it. Also his daughter got it and she was uh, severely disfigured. And it also seen it ravage parts of his empire. And there's a big outbreak in South America. So that sideways map that I've got on this slide there, um, the goal bit is to hit the Spanish empire at the time. And then on the 3rd of November, 1798, he declared that the civilian population should be verulated. But then shortly after that, he actually received a copy of Edward Jenner's book, and which mentioned vaccination rather than verulation. So Anton, what is the difference between the two? Variation is taking a pox from someone with smallpox and scratching the fluid into the skin. The recipient would still uh, would receive a milder version of smallpox, but significant scarring could still occur, and the death rate was still two percent. I can't talk anymore. Two <laughs> percent. Vaccination involved taking fluid from a pox of someone infected with the related cowpox. This was much milder, but still unpleasant. I'm sure and resulted in immunity to smallpox. Yeah, and um, both methods could also spread many other diseases because you're doing direct kind of arm-to-arm -arm transmissions of um, the pox, which uh, we've got something about that later. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> um, but when you have an empire that spans the entire globe, how can you disseminate a vaccine in an age before air travel and refrigeration? So you can't just pop across the Atlantic. Um, so any attempts, uh, the initial attempts to get it across the Atlantic, they involve sealing vaccinal material between glass plates, uh, which are wrapped in cloth, but they, that was unsuccessful because it wouldn't keep it um, fresh for long enough. So a new plan was needed. So the first plan was proposed by the royal physician, uh, Jose Flores, and he said that, or his idea was to, um, to quote him, dispatch with the most diligence, two ships, the lightest, in order to sail with some cows, with true, pow, with true cowpox, and some boys uh, with their arms successfully inoculated with the pos. In addition to this, a portion of selected pos would be placed between two very carefully waxed glass plates. Wee, what was that? Boys with arms successively inoculated with pus. That's right, yeah. So the plan 
was to, as I said, to use these children as human vaccines. Um, but why not just the cows? It seems that it's more expensive to send cows across the Atlantic than it is to send children. <laughs> the other guy who was involved in it was Baumess, and he was a physician, and he'd actually translated um, Edward Jenner's works into Spanish. And he would become one of the leading authorities in vaccination in Spain. He'd also spent time in Mexico as well. Um, and he suggested just recruiting 22 children and, trans and um, to take the vaccine across the Atlantic. And then when setting off, two of the children would be um, infected with the cowpox vaccine. Then every 10 days or so, uh, the pox would be used to infect the next two children. And this chain would continue across the Atlantic for the entire journey until they reached their destination. And having two boys vaccinated at all times would act as a safeguard because just having one wasn't enough. And uh, this was the plan that was accepted by the king. And it'd be Balmas who would be chosen to lead the expedition. And I've got a list of all the orphans here. Between five and nine years old. But as you can see, they're much younger. Yeah, three to nine. I think it was five to eight or something earlier. But three-year-olds getting infected. Yeah. It's very nice. So I don't know if anybody here um, is a teacher or has worked with the kids before, but could you imagine going on a school trip lasting several years across the Atlantic, infecting children and uh, all, all the rigors and trials that they had to cross <laughs> um but upon reaching the americas and completing their duties the plan was that these children they would actually be um looked after by the local authorities and given a good education and until they were able to look after themselves not a bad deal then and also with the children uh, there would be isabel zadidia which i probably said wrong gomez and she was the rector of the foundling home where most of the children came from and she'd be aboard the ship and look after them for their journey and from everything i've read she comes across as really kind and caring and thoughtful for the children and i'm sure that she was a great comfort to all of them for what must have been a really frightening journey and barmas himself he also really looked after the children as well uh, okay so the date was set. It was the 30th of November, 1803, and they set sail. And their first stop was the Canary Islands. And when they got there, they're really warmly greeted. And on the first day, uh, 10 children from some of the best families, that's a quote, were vaccinated. Um, and also lots of local doctors were shown the procedure of how um, to carry out the vaccinations. And then from Lanzarote, um, five children of the poor class were sent in order to return vaccinated. So again, I think they're using the poorer children just as a, as a vessel to um, help everybody else get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Interesting idea. Yeah. Um, so again, the kids are being used as a transfer mechanism. Now, a large part of their, their mission was also setting up vaccine boards, and that was to help educate the population to the benefits of the vaccine and also um, provide local production of the cowpox lymph and also record and administer the vaccine. And the church actually played a really important role there because they were um, one of the few organizations which um, was capable of um, kind of administering it all. Then after 27 days, they set sail again, this time to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Now, Anton, can you imagine being one of these children? You've left the orphanage and you've spent a, over a month probably now, and it's a confusing time for you. And there were some grown-ups gave some of the other kids this horrible thing that made them ill and caused all these pox to appear and flare. 
you've landed on some mundane islands and there's loads of great excitement at your arrival and a big rush and chaos all about. And now you are um, you're back at sea aboard a small ship and it's winter, the seas are rough, the food isn't great, home is far away and everything's just far beyond your control. I mean, how do you feel? Uh, probably seasick, don't like the rough seas, quite upset, missing home, uh, dreading for that cowpox to be infected. Yeah, not nice, but you've had another restless night and you're feeling sick from the waves and you've been kept awake by the cramped conditions and the crying of several of the other children. Then mid-morning, whilst you're staying blankly out at the featureless horizon, Isabella and Barbara, they take you aside and they say, Anton, it's your turn, you're to be given the cowpox. And you're taken to the captain's cabin with one of the younger children. And this is where you receive pus from his disgusting, itching, sore pox. <laughs> and um, he's actually been wearing gloves to stop him scratching it. And every time he tries, he's been chastised. And um, if you felt ill from seasickness, he looks 10 times worse than you. So um, Anton, we need an infected arm. Right, so we have got an infected arm here. Yep. With a massive pox on it, which, uh, I'm going to have to pop, and there we go. And now I get some on my knife. Uh-oh. Roll oh. up your sleeve, please. Okay. And we're going to cut that into you, like so. What? So that's the transfer of the pox. Transfer. Yummy. Is that nice? <laughs> yep. Tastes like honey. Mm. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Back to showing the screen. I've been so, infected. That was the kind of process that they go through, this big pox, which they would then transfer. Now that you've been infected with the cowpox, um, you are one of the most important and precious people in the world because you are the carrier of the vaccine. You have the potential and the power to save thousands of lives now. And it's going to be horrible. It's going to be irritating. You're going to have postules form in your arm, maybe your hands and your face as well. And your glands might swell when you're going to have... Uh, pain growing in your body as the fever builds and parts just going to be decorated like a Jackson Park. So how do you feel now, Anton? Um, still not very good. Maybe a bit more sick than I was from the sea. Um, I mean, at least I'm trying to save the world. <laughs> yes, you are. On the 9th of February, they reached Puerto Rico, but they were surprised to find that um, the vaccine had already come to the island. And Bamas was quick to criticise the initiative um, because this was something that I had to do several times throughout the expedition because um, when things weren't going his way or other people had set up vaccine boards already, he, he was a little bit self-important on them. And uh, his frustrations proved that he actually left early. He didn't have the required number of children carrying um, vaccination on uh -oh. their arms. And <clears throat> he found himself in highest affliction, being on a foreign coast with a single vaccinated child. That's right. He had a single infected child left to carry his vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they left and sailed next for Venezuela. And um, when they arrived there, Bamas, he actually set up the first vaccination board on the American continent. And as they travelled about, um, they would um, recruit more local children to help spread the vaccine. And by early May, um, 
12,000 people have been vaccinated. That is very good. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. And there's, there's millions of people there. And there's also very little infrastructure at the time. So you've got thick jungles and the river systems and not many roads and things. Yeah. During much of the expedition in Central America, they've been travelling over, over poorly mapped terrain. The roads, if they had any of them, were poor. They might be hacking through jungle, relying on a local guide. If travelling by ship, they'd need to be wary of pirates. Communication and to and from the outside world would take weeks or months. And some of that news would have been about a certain Corsican by the name of Napoleon marching about in Europe. Yeah, that's right. So um, they're far away from Spain now. And yeah, the Napoleonic Wars are starting to happen over in Europe. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult times for them. But that's not all. You also need to convince the local population of the wonders of the vaccine. Now, if you know um, when the conquistadors went over to South America and Central America, they took smallpox with them. And this devastated the Aztec and Incan populations. And uh, the disease, as it crossed over the Atlantic, there was no natural immunity in uh, the Americas to it. So whilst this was a couple of hundred years earlier, you imagine that this, these memories were still strong in the population there. The expedition, um, they split into two groups. Um, yeah, so Salvini and his party, um, he travelled down through South America and it was an incredible, difficult and gruelling journey. And I've got a quote here about it. So it goes, um, few itineraries can be chosen that, as followed by Salvini, bring together so many difficult circumstances and adventure across the Andes, abandoned or persecuted, in between shouts of joy, shipwrecks and storms, with one arm lost in the Andes, an eye mutilated in Gadas, in the dust of his roots, he traces an heroic pathway for the benefit of mankind. And of this, mankind doesn't even know what his end was. So Salvini, he actually gave everything for this expedition. He died on the journey, he went blind before he died. It sounds like he lost one of his arms. I couldn't find a specific report on that, actually. Um, well, difficult, gruelling time for him. Um, but let's get, head over back to Baumis, who was leading the other part of the expedition to Mexico. And they would arrive in Mexico on June the 25th, 1804, which is 218 years ago to the day. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, good planning here. Um, and he only had 21 orphans with him now because one of them had died, sadly. And actually two would die during the expedition, but I don't know what the cause of their death was. Um, once they had been used as a vessel for kind of vaccine, they still had to be taken around by Baumis and the other expedition, the members. They can just leave them somewhere, obviously. And if you remember, the plan was that they would be given a uh, the orphans when they reached Mexico City, they would be um, rewarded and looked after and given an education. But sadly, um, when they arrived in early August, things were not quite as they hoped. No. Instead of the viceroy protecting and being grateful for their services provided by the expedition, he insists so cruelly and troubling it to the last detail. Yes, that's Baumis there, saying that he was getting no help whatsoever. Um, so he wasn't impressed. Um, however, he was able to set up his vaccination board and the orphans were taken into care by the viceroy. Um, and Isabella was still with them and she must have been a real um, mother figure to them at, at times and really important to the boys. 
Um, and I tried listening to a documentary in Spanish, but knowing no Spanish, the only words I picked up were Florence Nightingale. And I think it's probably quite fitting that her um, efforts are seen in that way. I mean, I, I can't speak for the Spanish people, but I'm guessing she's quite well known there, like we know Florence Nightingale um, here in England. So in the three years of the mission, several hundred thousand people were vaccinated which wasn't as many as farmers would have liked, but still an incredible effort. And that was meant to have given about a 20% herd immunity to the population. So if you think of all the difficulties and uh, struggles that they went through crossing the Atlantic, these kids having to be arm-to-arm -arm vaccinated, crossing the Andes, through the jungles, aged three to nine as well, 22 of them, uh, with only a small number of people looking after them. I mean, these children were amazing. Yeah, the Atlantic had been crossed and the groundwork for the vaccine programme put in place. All that remained was the Philippines and the rest of the empire and a little matter of crossing the Pacific. That's right. They're only, if you remember back to the map, half round on their journey so far. Um, but we're not going to cover that today. That's a story for another time. Now, if you had seen the intelligent speech quiz, one of our questions actually was... Um, how were parents compensated for lending their children? So this is the Mexican parents lending their children to Balmes to cross the Pacific on what would have been another three-year journey. And what's the answer to the question, Anton? It is 16 pesos. Whoa. Yeah, so not a lot. Um, and that is the end of our talk. Fantastic. Okay. Thank, thank you both so much. That was really interesting. Um, so just I'll open it up to questions from the audience. If you have any questions, you can put them in chat. You can raise your hand and I'll allow you to speak. Um, or you could use the Q&A function, which is there. And it, that's easier. There's always an option. Um, Sarah uh, Robert Boyle says he loved it, but he's got to rush off. Um, so he's he won't be joining us. But uh, Sarah Golby says thank you. Never heard about this before. I'm I'm in the same boat. I had no idea. I, I no, it's an it's an incredibly like quite modern approach to take in in the 1800s. Yeah, there's not. I don't think that much written in English about it. I guess most of the it's obviously it's Spanish. Most of the documentation is there. I don't think uh, Charles the Fourth. He was known as a particularly good king, and then he was. Um, he had to abdicate shortly after with um, Napoleon and the Peninsula War. Oh yes, so, the whole revolution thing. Exactly. Yeah. So there were problems actually paying um, the promised money to the parents, um, mm. like the Mexican parents who had lent their children. So Balmer was getting very, very frustrated at all of this. And the actual the viceroy in Mexico City, he. Also, he didn't do a particularly good job looking after the children who had come from Spain and they weren't given the education they were promised. And yeah, it's pretty sad actually what happened to them. Um, two of them died during the expedition, as I said, and then the other 20, they, it's difficult to get clear details of what happened to them, but they, I don't think they had a particularly happy life, unfortunately. Mm. Well, uh, that actually leads into a couple of the questions that we've got from, uh, Jorge, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, who asks, do any of the names of the kids survive? Hang on one moment. I'll find the list again. And yeah, let me no. put that on screen for you and you'll be able to see. Let me just share. Okay, so hopefully in a moment you'll be able to see the 22 children their ages, so three years old, 
all the way up to nine there. Actually, the second to last child on the um, right, um, Benito Velez, um, he was actually the adopted son of the rector of um, the kind of orphanage where, where most of the orphans came from in Spain. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Sarah Golby asks, where can we learn about what happened next? Ah, well, maybe we'll do an episode on that, Anton. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can tell you about the story now, if you like. So they would um, get, I think it was 26 Mexican children now for the next part of the journey. And then Isabella was still with them and so was Baumis. And I don't know if any of the rest of the original kind of expedition were there. And um, they had to hire a, a, uh, like a passenger ship to go across the Pacific. So obviously it's a much bigger race and a much longer journey, so they need more children to do that. But it was incredibly cramped conditions on that vessel. And they, I think they struggled because it was, it was rat infested. And the children were basically sleeping on sacks and things on the floor. And they're saying it's only thanks to a lot of the other passengers on the ship um, who helped make it comfortable for them. But it must be odd if you're a passenger on a boat and then you've got uh, 26 young children there who are being given this disease, really, through the um, vaccination program, sailing for many weeks at sea, then they would, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head now, um, so they would have landed in the Philippines and they set up um, some vaccine boards there. But again, they had some difficulties in getting everything they needed. And Baumis, again, he said that he struggled to get what he wanted. I think some of this is perhaps a bit of ego on his side, but he's also on a, what for him must have been a very noble quest um, to vaccinate the Spanish Empire. And there's also other times where later on when they went um, round into China, I think it's the same day as the Battle of Trafalgar. So that was when the British were fighting the combined French and Spanish fleets. Um, the British East India Company actually agreed to help with the vaccination. Um, I can't remember exactly where this was off the top of my head. Um, when the actual Spanish um, kind of administration in that region themselves, they were disinterested in it. So even at a time of war and conflict, you can have the two opposing forces being more helpful to one another, which I think is quite a good takeaway from this, where there's, there's bigger problems and issues that we need to solve uh, together. Yeah, like in uh, the Cold War as well, you said, mentioned earlier, between Soviet Soviets and uh, America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really that's a really valid point, and I like the idea that yeah, there are there are bigger problems than uh, just people wanting to kill each other. There's real, <laughs> yes, hu- humans all have to fight off the the smaller, tiny little enemies. Um, just while in case there's anyone else with questions in the chat, um, were the vaccines available to everyone? regardless of whether they were originally from Spain or if they were uh, indigenous? Um, was there any kind of discrimination or or anything like that? Um, not much that I've come across, I don't think. Some of the quotes I read, it was very much, um, there'd be, to the ones that I read, it was the poor children and then the upper class children. So there's definitely some division there. But the intention was to try and vaccinate everyone. And some of this would have been um, the idea that, sadly, if if you vaccinate everybody and they're, they're not dying, then there's going to be more a larger labour force and more profits coming back to the Spanish crown. So I don't know if all the intentions were necessarily noble there, but the intention was to try and vaccinate as many people as possible. It seems that the actual uh, discrimination from what I have made of it was fairly um, 
there, there wasn't much of it, but maybe not just for the best reasons. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like, oh, it'd be too much to hope for that it was out of genuine, genuine human compassion alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did they only uh, vaccinate children, or were were these available to adults as well? Um, it, it was for everybody, but the it seems that children were the main way in which they would um, transfer the vaccine. I think just because it's easier to control kids. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a time when they actually um, had to, there were two occasions where they had a problem with the children, and there'd be one where they actually had to use some soldiers to carry the vaccine for a short period, mm. and another time where I think they, they bought three slaves, which is obviously... Not very good. Um, I don't know what happened to them. I, I like to think that they bought their freedom for them as a thank you, but I don't know that. Yes, yeah, probably um, not true, because, unfortunately. Yeah, it was, what I've read about Balmas and Isabella, they seem that they do generally have a, their heart in the right place for a lot of this, uh, particularly Isabella. Um, but um, yeah, who, who knows what happened to uh, those people, the, the slaves that they had to buy. Mm. Well, well, we'll hope for the best, and, yeah. uh, and even if that's maybe not likely. Um, so you mentioned before the, the revolutions and the, the wars that are going on. Did, because obviously after uh, Charles is overthrown, Latin America has its own wave of independence revolutions and things like that. Did mm -hmm. they get in the way of the programme? Um, well, it would have been from 1803 to 1806. I think it would have predated that revolution, but then I don't know what happened actually long term in terms of the vaccine boards and things that were set up and um, the manufacture of the cowpox lymph nodes. So apparently the cowpox, it's, it's pretty common in England where uh, Edward Jenner had um, made his discoveries and things, and but elsewhere it's not as common, but you can also use horsepox um, for the same process. And so I guess it would have continued, but maybe not at the scale they wanted, but I, I don't have any, any details, unfortunately. Interesting. Um, does do we have any further questions from the audience? Not um, that popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, in which case, my last one is about that arm, which was incredible. I did not expect that had me howling. I'm glad I was moved to because I would have completely. It's amazing. I did not expect that at all. So I I need to know what is that made of and why Anton? Why did you start eating it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not entirely sure what it was made of. At first, I actually thought it was my arm. Um, but then <laughs> I, look, I look closer because it's very good. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't, you can explain. Okay, it, yeah, it's, um, if you've ever seen the insulation that you get for pipe work, like the uh, frame stuff, it's just made out of that. There's a masking tape round. It's a bit mummified. Uh, it's got fingernails, though, which I created. Uh, it's also got real human hair from Anton's head. <laughs> And then the, the pock was just a bit of bubble wrap. So hopefully you heard it pop. Yes. Um, oh, my <laughs> and, grief. and then some honey on it. So you give a bit of pus. Oh, God, you added fingernails. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, ha I have to ask, and I'm terrified of the answer. You did make it specially for this. You didn't just have that lying around. <laughs> I did make it specially for this, but on one of our earlier episodes, we did do corpse medicine where I recreated... Um, like human brain and um, mellified man and all sorts of things. So, and did Anton yeah. start eating that as well? Or... Yes, I did. Actually. 
Yeah, we like doing recreations. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I will, I'll open it up again just for one final time. Does anyone, uh, if there's any final thoughts, questions, ideas? I, that was fantastic. That was so fascinating. Um, I, again, Thank I had you. no I idea. Okay. I'm struggling with my slides at times yeah. and trying to do too many things at once. I know, I know <laughs> what it is. Because on our, one of our first episodes, we did brain surgery and he's never been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in which case, I mean, we're, we're, we'd be finishing a little bit early, but I mean, it's fantastic. It was, it was so great. What a great start to the day. Even though, I mean, we're, we're both, it's near the end of the day for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Got the doubloon, uh, doubloon? Doubloon? <laughs> the balloon debate coming up next, which uh, I'm partaking in as well. Yeah. Oh, busy day then. Anton, yeah. are you taking part or uh, do you get to actually enjoy the weather? <laughs> uh, probably, I probably will. Maybe not for the whole thing though. Yeah. Well, in which case, uh, thank you both so much. This was fantastic. And thank you to everyone who's who's uh, watched this and asked questions and left comments. Um, I don't know if you can see, but there's a lot of, lot of appreciation in the, in the chat. Yeah. Both of you. Thank you very much. Um, it was really good fun to do. And also thank you to all the organizers um, for giving us this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, that's I good. I we'll be back. I'm sure you will. I mean, <laughs> you just, ben, Ben's in the chat, so you've just flattered him and that always works oh, yeah. very well. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> oh, there's a question, there's a question. Oh, oh yeah, he ooh, has a question. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I can, I'll allow him to talk. Oh, remind us of the show. <gasps> okay, yeah, we, our show is called The Curiosity of a Child. And you can find it everywhere if you search for The Curiosity of a Child. Um, or go to thecuriosityofachild.com or shop.thecuriosityofachild.com. Yep, we're wearing our merch. <laughs> yeah. We've got some cushions behind us as well. <laughs> um, or you can find us on Twitter at, at @curiechildpod. Um yeah, so it'd be fantastic if you can listen to some of our shows where we have done, yeah, brain surgery, corpse medicine. I recreated the Great London Stink of 1857, oh, which is disgusting. That was absolutely did mad. what? The, the, the London Stink of 1857, where the, um, before, I've forgotten his name now, um, basically the, the terms were full of um, human excrement and things. And I, I remade that. Yeah. I... I'm terrified to find out how, but I need I need to. So I'm going to be subscribing and oh, giving yes. that a listen. Um, again, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's uh, attended. Um, and then we'll leave it there and let everyone move into their next sessions, whatever they prefer. Thank you again so much. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sam.